Welcome to Māori. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. They're going to pause and just have to stop it, you know? A Pacifica community leader says a dawn rates apology is hollow. Following a review, also. He is undertaking the process of engaging with Pacific partners. New Zealand's Foreign Affairs Minister meets with IAEA Director. And later, Pacifica Health Providers welcomes funding boost. An independence review of dawn raid style visits has urged the New Zealand government to consider banning or restricting the practice in law. Guidelines for compliance officers should also be updated as a priority. An assessment on carrying out a raid should consider rationality, proportionality, public interest and how it would affect others including children and elderly. The review into out-of-hours immigration visits for the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment was launched in May after news the practice was still in use and targeting Pacifica overstayers. The dawn raids in the 1970s had overwhelmingly targeted Pacific people who accounted for 86% of related prosecutions despite making up only a third of overstayers. New Zealand's Deputy Prime Minister Kamo Sipoloni told RNZ the government believed the apology given by Jacinda Ardern in 2021 marked an end to the operations. Immigration New Zealand did not take on board the uh, spirit of the apology that was undertaken by Jacinda Ardern. Um, They didn't uh, ensure that that was reflected in their practice. However, Pacifica community leader Kennedy Mayakafa Fakana'ana Kifualu says the apology rings hollow in the lights of failure to tighten the rules. RNZ National's reporter Lucy Sia has more. The review makes it clear the rules need to change and raids to arrest overstayers should only be used as a last resort. It says officials should consider how children or the elderly might be affected, citing the violent arrests of the past where people were dragged from their beds. It also urges the government to consider changing the Immigration Act to stop or restrict the visits. Immigration says it's already paused what it calls out-of-hours arrests until it updates its guidance. But Tongan community leader Kennedy Maea Kafa wants a law change, and he wants it now. I don't want to, to, to come across the word pause, right? They're going to pause. They just have to, to stop it, you know? They have to, to, to change the law. They have the maturity. Uh, in Parliament, so so they can fast-track it. Mr Maea Kaffa was at the formal apology in 2021 and says the government needs to stick to its promise that the raids won't happen again. And Soane Foliaki, the lawyer for Pacifica Overstayer, whose home was raided at dawn in April, feels the same. The recommendation that I would follow is that they should just put a stop to this thing. The report shows that since 2015, there have been 95 early morning or late night overstayer arrests and 101 people have been deported. Almost half of those were Chinese nationals. Mr Foliaki says it's people of colour who are being targeted. It's not just about islanders, it's also about the Chinese and the Indians. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all the same, you know. Um, what happened to those people? You know, did they have lawyers or anybody that advocated for them? Soane Foliaki says he's worried that some of the newer migrants may not know how to protect their rights when immigration officials come knocking. He says the heavy-handed approach when deporting people needs to stop. 
The Immigration Minister Andrew Little says he's sorry nothing changed after the government's apology. I'm very regretful that the action wasn't taken to change guidelines, update guidance given to Immigration New Zealand for their enforcement officers. Um, It is something that I think, with the benefit of hindsight, we'd say should have happened. He'll be talking to Immigration about their guidelines and insists there is still a place for dawn or late-night arrests. But he agrees they could be banned if children are living at the house. If we have learnt our lesson from the 1970s dawn raids, it is that we should not be enforcing this particular law in a way that is traumatic, not only to those who the law is being enforced against, but those around them, including children. Andrew Little will be taking the report's recommendations to Cabinet in the next couple of months, but he says it's unlikely there'll be any law change before the election. New Zealand's Minister of Foreign Affairs stopped short of taking a firm position on the upcoming release of treated nuclear wastewater into the Pacific following her meeting with the head of the UN Nuclear Agency. Anti-nuclear activists have called repeatedly for New Zealand to take firm opposition, given the country's long anti-nuclear stance. Nanaya Mahuta met with Rafael Grossi in Auckland before he travelled to Rarotonga to meet with Pacific leaders. Lydia Law spoke with Nanaya Mahuta after the meeting. It was an important meeting to be able to uh, meet Director General Grossi, who leads the IAEA uh, and is doing some very important work in relation to issues regarding nuclear safety, security and safeguards. On that front, we did uh, discuss the issue of Fukushima and so uh, we uh, covered off the approach uh, that had been taken uh, to form the recommendations of the report. It's an independent report. He has already met with South Korea and Japan and following the meeting with myself, he'll be going on to the Cook Islands. Is the IAEA's assurance that you've just been given enough for the New Zealand government? The IAEA has a number of measures by which it considers in terms of the safe release of nuclear wastewater uh, to the ocean. It's an independent report. Uh, So now he is undertaking the process of engaging with Pacific partners and that will be reflected in a meeting tomorrow in the Cook Islands. What does this say about Pacific solidarity? Because I know that Pacific nations are still divided on this, some assured like New Zealand and others not so much. What is your message in regards to solidarity in the region on this issue? Well, first of all, uh, the IAEA report uh, identifies uh, through science uh, what uh, threshold of safety is required to release Uh, nuclear wastewater uh, into the ocean. Uh, It's an independent set of recommendations. I am encouraged that the IAEA has taken it upon themselves to engage uh, with the Pacific to hear their concerns uh, and the nature of their long-standing worries about the impact of nuclear testing in their region, the health of the oceans, Uh, and uh, gain uh, some further insight about their response to the report. Absolutely. You just mentioned, uh, yes, science and the importance of that, but an expert on the PIF panel has said that the science doesn't all add up and New Zealand is part of the Pacific Islands Forum and essentially this 
panel is giving advice to the forum. So does New Zealand not trust the science of the panel that has been brought in independently to look at what is going on? No, this isn't a matter of whether or not New Zealand trusts the science fraternity, whether it be the IAEA or the PUS. What we want to ensure is that the safe uh, release of nuclear wastewater is evidence-based and that all those parties who are impacted are engaged with, and in this instance, it's our Pacific partners. So we're very clear about that. We know that the IAEA is an independent body. Uh, the science uh, continues to evolve, and I'm sure that's going to be the active conversation that will occur with Pacific partners, is how can we continue to be informed by science to have greater assurance that if nuclear waste water is released, that there are adequate safeguards over a long period of time to protect our ocean space, and that's at the heart of the conversation uh, that needs to be had. And Following the report from the IAEA, do you have that assurance? Following the report from the IAEA, the process is that the IAEA will engage with the Pacific Island Forum, identify the process that they went through, the science uh, consider scientific uh, considerations, also the collaboration that they had uh, globally on the science, to identify uh, why it came up with its set of recommendations. There'll be an open opportunity, I'm sure, uh, for the Pacific to reflect back their concerns. But the decision ultimately around the release of wastewater is not a matter for the IAEA. It's a matter for Japan. So there's still some conversations to occur uh, before decisions are made of that nature. If Japan goes ahead with their release, uh, there is a press conference later this week where I understand they may be announcing a date. Will New Zealand support that with the information, the science that is in front of you right now? New Zealand continues to stand alongside Pacific partners to ensure that their concerns are adequately taken on board. We've been consistent about that. In my bilateral meetings with Japan, I've raised this even issue uh, that we are very concerned about. So we, uh, like Japan, uh, await uh, to hear the outcome of tomorrow's meeting from Pacific Partners. We are a part of the Pacific Island Forum, uh, so we will ensure that our voice builds and bolsters the interests of the Pacific. A Pacific Islands Forum expert panellist has rubbished a section in the International Atomic Energy Agency's report on the upcoming dump of treated nuclear wastewater into the Pacific Ocean. Institutes for Energy and Environmental Research President Dr. Ajahn Makijani has criticised the agency for ignoring its own principle of justification. This principle means it must prove the benefits outweigh the harm to society and individuals. Dr. Makijani, who has more than half a century of expertise, told Lydia Lewis it's egregious the agency has decided it's not going to look at it because Japan has already done so. Dr. Makijani says he has raised his concerns with the IAEA as part of the PIF expert panel. He says he does not take criticising the IAEA lightly as it does important work. Yeah, so obviously, you know, I have looked a lot into the justification and optimization question and the scientific 
questions around that, as well as what do the guidelines of IAEA say. And um, we, we as the expert men also have discussed these issues with the IAEA task force <clears throat> on the 8th and 9th, 8th of June, U.S., 9th of June, uh, Fiji time or Japan time. And um, so there was some continuity. So let me try to kind of summarize my views so that so that they'd be coherent for for you. The the IAEA has uh, abandoned its responsibility to review the justification of actions, even though it is part of the fundamental safety principles. Principle number four is justification. It is part of the general safety requirements. Why uh, did it abandon this? Justification. Yes. So the the rationale is that uh, Japan had already decided to dump. And I use dump in the technical sense, you know, the 1972 treaty to, to limit or prevent marine pollution calls, calls um, you know, calls for stopping dumping. Dumping is a word in the title of the treaty. So by international standards, dumping is a technical term. And what TEPCO is doing is dumping radioactive water. Now, so let's be clear. Dumping is not necessarily... Per- Sorry to interrupt you. So let's Sorry. be clear. Let's be clear from the get-go. Then TEPCO is calling it a release or a discharge. But for those listening, it is legally a dump as well. Is that correct? Well, in my view, it's dumping. You know, the lawyers can parse it, but as a scientist who looks at facts um, rather than parsing words, uh, it is dumping. If you put the same waste in a barrel and take it on a shore and uh, take take it on a ship and dump it overboard, it would be legally dumping. Um, the countries have been dumping, like France, Britain, and so on, into the ocean radioactivity, and it's kind of become an accepted practice. And that's what IAEA uh, general, uh, uh, the IAEA director general said, even before the task force was formed, he said it's technically feasible and internationally acceptable to do this, even before they had examined anything. Uh, however, that does not make it right. And that does not make it in conformance with the principles that they've announced. They said that they're not going to look at judgment, uh, at uh, justification explicitly. And they reaffirmed that in the report that is not their responsibility. And what they have done is very interesting. They've said we are not looking at justification because Japan already made its decision to dump. Uh, and they asked us to review and refine and minimize the impact of that. So what they've done is basically, and then to give basically the IAEA imprimatur, even though it's not a decider, you know, without the IAEA imprimatur, I do not think anyone would accept Japan's decision to dump this radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean. So in a way, it's a it's a little bit of sophistry for the IAEA to say it's not a decider. It's not. But if the IAEA said, we don't think this is a good idea, there's no way this plan could go forward. So let's be clear about that. That's the reality in the world. 
So by saying basically that Japan had decided to dump and invited us to look after afterwards at how it should be done, there's and so we will not look at justification because it was already a done deal, this decision. They're saying if you want the imprimatur of the IAEA and if you want to look good for anything you've already decided, whether it's justified or not, just invite us after you've decided it. New Zealand's Associate Minister of Health, Willow Jean Prime, had recently announced over 45 million US dollars in funding to 40 Maori and 5 Pacifica health providers, specifically aimed at strengthening medical services to Pacifica. Her announcement comes in the midst of growing debates in New Zealand's parliament about the ethics of equity-based surgery and public discussion over the need for race-specific health providers. Fina Funo spoke with the Associate Minister about the concerns. Why is it important to have Pacifica slash Maori dedicated health providers? I've just visited the Fono and earlier today I visited um, Tūriki Health, uh, who are two examples of Māori and Pacific health providers who um, were successful in receiving funding. It is important that Tahu Taurima is really focused on the delivery of culturally appropriate um, models of care for our maternity and early years for our Pacifica communities. And, um, you know, to us it's really important that we have models of care that respect our Pacifica whānau, their values, um, beliefs and cultural practices and what I heard today is that is what the Pono, um has been doing for many years now and with the Kahu Taurima funding that we are able to enhance those uh, services and provide new services as well. Could you describe um, some of the support that government is giving in this area? Yes, so today I announced um, $74 million of new funding over the next two years to 40 Māori providers and five Pacifica providers to provide services for our maternity and early years for the first 2,000 days um, of a PP's life. What I learned today when I went to the Fono is that they have already been providing services to our families, but with this new funding, they'll be able to enhance those services and to expand on them as well. So they're able to do more than what they um, were doing before with this new funding. And what is your response to the recent noise in Parliament about equity-based surgery? Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's absolutely acknowledged that Māori and Pacifica and rural communities and um, those low socioeconomic communities, it's widely known that they have experienced poorer health outcomes in our health system. That was the whole purpose behind reforming our health system and delivering equitable outcomes for um, New Zealanders, no matter where they live. Um, And so... Tahutaurima is another example of where we are putting in new funding to support uh, new models of care to provide more equitable outcomes, particularly um, the funding I announced today is for Māori and Pacifica whānau. Um, but another example is I visited the hospital where they have the new uh, retinal cameras going in so that all our pepe, no matter where they're born in the country, have the access to those cameras for early diagnosis and treatment um, decisions. So we're taking away that postcode lottery. So what we're trying to do with all of the 
changes to the health system is to address those inequities wherever they exist. Uh, visiting the hospital, could you describe that visit? Yes, so today I visited uh, Middlemore Hospital to see the retinal um, camera scanner that um, is able to detect uh, issues with premature babies um, with their with their vision. And I, in particular, I visited there because in 2019, a report identified that we don't have enough of these cameras across the country. And so we, we have announced $7 million of funding to buy 20 new cameras to have them available right across the country. What they were able to show me um, at Middlemore is that the earlier you detect vision issues with our um, neonatal babies, the more successful treatment can be in saving their vision. So it is a preventable condition and if detected early, it is treatable. And that's what I saw, how that all works. And I'm really pleased to learn that our funding is going to be able to purchase 20 more of these cameras to have right across the country. That's Pacific Ways for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, it's all fast way for.